This is Ellen Sandler, author of the TV Writer's Workbook, and you're watching the TV Writer's Podcast. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. My name is Gray Jones, and I want to welcome you to the TV Writer Podcast, partner of Script Magazine, episode 16, from Monday, April 4th, 2011. Well, today I am so, so excited because I get to present a special guest, Emmy-nominated writer-producer, author, playwright, and director, Ellen Sandler. It was an amazing interview, and I know that you're going to be very encouraged by all the things that she has to say. But uh, first, we do have a number of news items. Um, we have some new homework, and that is Small Screen Big Picture by Chad Gervich. You can get the book at tvwriterpodcast.com. Just click on the store link, and it will take you there. Just like Ellen's book, it's also under $11 and an excellent book to have on your shelf. I'll be interviewing Chad later in April, so if you can, please order it right away so you can get your questions in. And speaking about tvwriterpodcast.com, the site has now some handy Facebook pages in the links section on the lower right, and also some helpful links have been added, included a handy What to Spec in 2011 article in the Featured Articles category. Also, the TV Writer Twitter database has now leaped forward to 700 writers and continues to climb. Make sure to take advantage of this handy resource. On a personal note, I'm very, very excited that I'm going to be working on a show with William Shatner. It's called Weird or What? About Unexplained Phenomena, and it airs in the U.S., Canada, Australia, and New Zealand. It's on Discovery Channel in the U.S. and History Channel in Canada, so watch for it. I'm incredibly, incredibly excited. I get to work with Captain Kirk. Pretty cool. Um, and another personal note, Inc. Canada turned the tables and asked me to do an interview. It's an up-close and personal interview about what makes me tick and how I came to do podcasting and also just my career path in general. It's a print interview. You can find it on Facebook. Just search for Inc. Canada, Inc. with a K. Also, the Toronto Screenwriting Conference has come up fast. It's this weekend. There's still time to register, and I have a special sponsor message for you. On April 9th and 10th, the Toronto Screenwriting Conference will host award-winning writers, executive producers, and best-selling authors all under one roof. It offers unprecedented education through masterclasses and breakout sessions with high-profile speakers from film and TV. Speakers include Leonard Dick from The Good Wife and House... Christine Zander of Raising Hope and Nurse Jackie, and Christopher Vogler, author of the best-selling book, The Writer's Journey, as well as many more. For more information and to register, check out www.tsc.org. Speaking of sponsors, if you have a book, service, or other product you'd like to advertise on the podcast, it's actually very reasonable. Or if you're able to give a donation to help support the podcast, it would be very much appreciated. You can get more details about how to support at tvwriterpodcast.com. But now I'm going to talk a little bit about our special guest today, Ellen Sandler. Entertainment Today calls Ellen Sandler the Dalai Lama of television writing. Her TV writer's workbook is used by the top film schools in the world, including USC, UCLA, and NYU. The praise is well-deserved. Like Save the Cat by Blake Snyder does for feature writing, Ellen's TV writer's workbook comes from a writer's approach, telling you in very simple, easy-to-understand terms virtually everything you need to know to be a successful TV writer. Ellen is a writer herself. She was nominated for an Emmy for her work as a co-executive producer of the CBS hit series Everybody Loves Raymond. She has written for many other primetime network television comedies, including ABC's Coach, and has created original television pilots for ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox Family, Oxygen Network, and the Disney Channel. Both a teacher and consultant... Ellen provides script development and career coaching for professionals and emerging writers in the entertainment industry, as well as writing workshops and seminars at conferences and universities both in the U.S. and abroad. You can find out more about Ellen and her services at her website, sandlerinc.com, that's with a K, and of course, from her interview. Here we go. This is Gray, and I'm here with Emmy-nominated writer-producer, the author of my favorite TV writing book, playwright and director, and a whole bunch more, Ellen Sandler. How are you doing, Ellen? 
I'm good. I'm good. Thank you for having me. Well, I am just so thrilled to have you on the podcast. I, I don't uh, throw those words around lightly. Um, I absolutely love your book. I've read a whole bunch of books on screenwriting and TV writing. And this, to me, is the thing that really opened my eyes to really how things worked. And so I'm so excited that I get to share you. What's the name of that book again? <laughs> the TV Writer's <laughs> Workbook. That's it. Yeah. And, you know, as I mentioned on Twitter, I had an experience in screenwriting because I, I initially started learning about screenwriting, uh, feature writing, and I read probably 20 books on screenwriting before I finally found Blake Snyder's Save the Cat. And yeah. it really opened my eyes. He, he spent a lot of time analyzing films. He even listened to them on tape and he figured out his own way of, of interpreting the story. And he, I felt anyway that the beats that he broke them down into were simpler, easier to understand, and more meaningful than the conventional structures that were being taught. And I really find that the TV's writer, TV writer's workbook does that for me. So uh, I'm really, really interested later on to hear how you did that. But first, we're going to start way, way back. I know your book describes uh, that you had a rather unconventional start to your TV writing career, but I'd like to go even before that. When did you know that you wanted to be a writer? Uh, well, I don't think that I did, actually. <laughs> I look back and I remember that I used to produce shows in my backyard. I would sell tickets to my neighbors and I would do stuff in my backyard because I, I was a performer primarily. But I also wrote little sketches and stuff to do in those shows. And I remember I wrote a play for the Purim Carnival in my hometown, which is Sioux City, Iowa, where there are no Jews, but we do have a Purim Carnival. Uh -huh. <laughs> a very small community there, so we, we have to toot our horns. But I wrote a play for that and won the contest, but I was in denial. I did not think I was writing. I had no idea I was writing mm -hmm. somehow. I never thought of myself as a writer. I thought of myself as a performer and then as a director, but not really a writer. Then I wrote a play. I was on tour in a show, and I had nothing to do during the day, and I started writing a play based on an article in the newspaper that I read, and I adapted some Eudora Wealthy stories so that I could direct them. I just was looking for projects to direct. i still not calling myself a writer. I think the key thing, though, was when I decided I wanted a credit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <If> I, <laughs> when I realized... I'd better start getting a credit for what I'm doing as a writer. Mm. That's when I became a writer. Because I would write stuff with other writers a lot when, as a director. Mm -hmm. I would work on new plays, and I would be co-writing, but they would get the credit, and I would direct. Because the theater is kind of like that. You don't really take the credit. It's kind of separate. And I really thought of myself as a director, not as a writer. So the day I realized I needed to get a credit is when I became a writer. Mm. And so now you went to Syracuse University, but was that before or after that? It was uh, after I was doing plays in my backyard <laughs> <laughs> and be and before I was doing theater in New York. Mm. And I, I was a dual major there. I was, I, I was a theater major and an art history major. So you did direct plays in New York for a while. And what brought you to Los Angeles? I was realizing that plays and theater do not pay anything. <laughs> and I had to, I was getting to the point at which I really did not want to waitress anymore hmm. to support my playwriting habit, my theater directing habit. I was looking into film, mm -hmm. and I got accepted to the AFI, the American Film Institute, mm -hmm. as a director fellow. I'm still in denial about being a writer, by the way, there. Uh, I, I, I went as a director, but in the meantime, I was working with another writer on a play, and we were doing the play in Los Angeles. It was a little one-act play, and that play, which I, I go into in some detail in, in my book, the front of the book, the, how I got my first job in television, that play mm -hmm. is what got me noticed and got me a job in television, not the AFI. <laughs> <laughs> Did not help me get any kind of a job at all. It was a great experience, but my play got me my television job, and that's when I knew I needed to get a credit. <laughs> that's when I became a writer, when I got the offer to write for television, and my then partner, he was willing to 
continue what we were doing, which was I didn't get a writing credit, although I was co-writing the play with him, and I directed. Mm -hmm. When we got this television offer, it suddenly occurred to me, you know, I need to get a credit, (laughs) or I'm going to be out. So that's when I became a writer. And so were you still with your writing partner when you uh, went to work for Taxi? That was the job, Taxi. Yeah, that was the first job. Wow. That must have been a crazy time. And and you actually had Rhea Perlman in your, your play. I did. But but she wasn't Rhea Perlman then. I mean, she <laughs> was Rhea Perlman, but she wasn't uh, a star. In fact, the reason she was in the play is that nobody would ever hire her to be an actress. Wow. <laughs> because uh, she's kind of an odd type, as you know. Uh-huh. But she was somebody that I knew from New York. Wow. Uh, and she was an... An actress who was, of course, as, as we now know, and as I knew then, is, was terrific, but was not getting much work. And so uh, she was available to do my play. Wow. She was happy to do it. And she was perfect for it. Uh-huh. And she was great in it. And I didn't know the, the show business ropes as they were at that time, because as I say, it was brand new to L.A. I had just come out here to go to AFI. I was not been in town even a month. Mm-hmm. But she was living with Danny DeVito at the time, who later she married. And Danny was on Taxi. And he brought everybody from Taxi down to see his girlfriend in the play. Wow. Because he wanted her to get work. Uh-huh. She would she would play his girlfriend twice a, in two episodes on Taxi. And he wanted them to see her. And so they came to see the play because of her. Yeah. I had no idea that that was going to occur or how important that would be. Wow. She was just an actress that I knew from New York from my days in the theater. Wow. Well, even though even though that is unconventional, at the same time it does illustrate a lot of the principles that that you talk about in your book, um which is that you network, that you get out there and you be ready for when something like that comes. Definitely. You didn't realize maybe at the time that that was what was happening, but I think we do see that in in evidence there. Well, I don't think of it as networking. I know everybody calls it networking, but uh, that always feels very calculated to me, and I don't do well with that. Mm -hmm. What I think of is much more comprehensive. I think about community. It's about building a community Mm -hmm. because you need help. You don't do these things by yourself ever. Mm -hmm. This is a totally collaborative medium from top to bottom, every bit of it. And my theatrical background, having worked with comedy troops and with improvisational theater, it's just ingrained in me that you've got partners. Mm-hmm. You need other people. You you need collaborators all the time. And it, so it's just part of the business is doing stuff with other people. Yeah. And that's how I think of it is uh, rather than sort of a cold calculating going to networking parties. I'm not sure that that's. That's never worked real well for me, but keeping in touch with people who I like and who like me and who who I like working with and expanding my work relationship has always been a lot more beneficial to me. Mm-hmm. Feels more comfortable. Yeah. So that that was 1981, and for the next 20 was years, it really? Oh my god, that's so long ago. Wow. Well, for the next 20 years, you worked on some great series. I mean, including Kate and Alley, Coach, yeah. Love Coach. Oh, my goodness. And Everybody Loves Raymond, uh, yeah. for which you received an Emmy nomination. Yes, I did. I'm looking at it right now. It's hanging on my wall. Wow. <laughs> we don't have time to go into all of those experiences. But what are, what were some of the just highlights of, of working through those shows? I knew you were going to ask me that. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I have to tell you, you know what sticks with you? Are the low lights, mm-hmm. not the high lights. Yeah, <laughs> the really painful stuff, the really horrible stuff. Mm-hmm. But nobody wants to hear about that. <laughs> yeah. I tell a lot of anecdotes interspersed in the in the workbook. It, it, it's a how-to book, but it's also kind of my memoir. I, mm-hmm. I I put in lots of anecdotes from my career. The thing I noticed about the highlights in my career, anyway, is that the best highlights always have the opposite side to them. They never just stand alone as a highlight. For example, I worked on a show for Dudley Moore. Now, I have idolized Dudley Moore all of my life. I mean, he's mm-hmm. one of the, he was one of the funniest actors ever to be. Just a brilliant, brilliant improviser, brilliant comedic actor. You don't get any better. Mm-hmm. What a dream to work for Dudley Moore's show. Yeah. But, 
it was one of the worst writing experiences I ever had. Wow. The show didn't work. Dudley Moore in uh, corduroy pants in a sitcom playing a father. It was not a good idea mm-hmm. for him. And he does not fit into hit your mark and say your line. That's not what he does well. Mm-hmm. It just didn't gel at all. And we were there all night long. I remember driving home in the morning listening to Howard Stern on my way home. Most people are going to work. I'm going home. Oh. And I'm coming back in two hours. So it's it's things like that. It's just the great high also has inherent in it. It always has a, a turn. Selling a pilot, I've sold a lot of pilots. Mm-hmm. Selling a pilot is the best high you can ever have. Yeah. And then it starts. You're killed by I think they call it being pecked to death by ducks. Mm-hmm. You know, each little peck doesn't hurt that much, but after a thousand of them, you just it, you're just begging for the mercy killing, which they do do, and your pilot is canceled. It doesn't get on the air, and it's it's like the lowest moment. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a pretty all-consuming business, and you don't get just highs; you get both. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I have I discouraged everyone in the audience now? <laughs> They've all turned off. Well, you're describing a roller coaster. Yeah, it is. It's thrilling. A lot of people want to train. Mm-hmm. But f- I, I know for, for me, because I, I work in television as well, a different, different aspect of television, but I would get bored to death on a train. I guess that's that. maybe that's it. Roller coaster is a, the perfect metaphor. Mm-hmm. Glad you said that. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's, let's move on to your book. I mean, I, I've... I can't say enough good things about it. And, and one of the things I, I love is that it's just, you can tell it, like, I, I appreciate that you called it a memoir because you can tell it's just an honest, honest look about exactly what the business is and, and exactly what it was for you. And, um, and because you went through so many different, uh, so, such a wide range of shows, it's, it's a great, great, uh, not just a primer, but a workbook to as you face different situations in the business. Um, I love the fact that you start out saying it's about money. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you're writing for television, it, it's got to be about money. Yeah. Because uh, we don't have amateur television. Well, yeah. I guess we do now with, with YouTube. But um, not, not when I was writing. It's not something you can do on your own. You have to do it for a mass audience. And it's about television is about money. On the other hand, I also talk about it in the book, the big balancing act is that if you're only doing it for money, you will never have the persistence to stay with it, to do the work that you have to do to succeed. You just can't because, mm-hmm. first of all, you don't get the money up front. <laughs> <laughs> you have to do a lot of work, spec work, learn your craft. You have to put in a lot of time for no money. Mm-hmm. Wherever you do it, I mean, I did it in the theater where, you know, I had a, I worked as a waitress to support myself a lot of the time. Most stuff didn't pay. And you write a lot that you don't see money for before you start to see money. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing it only for the money, you're going to be discouraged very soon because you don't see any money yet. Mm-hmm. But if you are also only doing it artistically, you're also going to get discouraged because you really need to be in another format, because television does not allow for that. You have to respect the commercial demands as well as finding your own voice within that. But you have to do both. Mm-hmm. You can't do one or the other. And I also appreciate, um, I, I may even just read this one sentence from your book, where you, you said, television establishes our ethical, moral, social, and God knows, material boundaries more than any other factor in modern life. And I thought, boy, you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it, it is about money, but at the same time, there is incredible power in television. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I read, I still read newspapers. Mm-hmm. I'm that old. I read newspapers. But I, I read the New York Times every day and every Sunday. And this past Sunday, there was an article about, uh, they interviewed 17-year-olds who are just about to graduate from high school. And they, it's like 30 of them with their picture and a little squib about what they see for the future, what they want to do. And I was struck by how many of them 
define what they want to do by something they saw on TV. Wow. I want to be a CSI medic. That would be cool. I want to, I, I want to go into medicine because I like this show. It, it, it is for defining boundary. I mean, it's just, there's no, no getting around it. That's our culture. And we don't have enough astronauts because sci-fi shows aren't doing well enough. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing that I really have to say again is that out of all the other books out there, they're textbooks um, where this is a workbook. And can you explain why you wanted to write it that way? Yeah, well, because I'm a writer. You know, most of the books out there are written by either academics or former network studio executives, which is fine. They have a valuable point of view. No no question about it. It's interesting that you see the comparison with Blake's book. Mm -hmm. Blake was a friend, and I really admired his book. I think it's great, but Blake was also a writer. Mm -hmm. And I think that we come at the work from a totally different perspective, from the work perspective. We're coming at it from the page. Yeah. Other people are coming at it from the end result which is fine, and you need to analyze stuff. You need to understand it in the big picture, so you need both. But I think that's why I call it a workbook, because really that is what writing is, is doing the work. Mm-hmm. Really, it, it, just, it just is. There's Nothing comes easily. It doesn't just come down from the heavens and land on your page and you sign your name to it. It does not, a, a contrary to popular network executive opinion, write itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you actually have to sit there and do work. And it's slow, and it's sometimes it's agonizing, and sometimes it's really scary because you have no idea. That is the perpetual state of the writer. We don't know until we write it. Mm-hmm. That, that's how we find out. So I think that's why I called it a workbook, because that's how I see it. And I appreciate that way of writing as a, as a writer because um there there are different ways that you approach every stage like um I really really appreciated your approach to spec writing um and and getting three specs and breaking down exactly what um each character was doing and and how long the the scenes were and and very very specific ways of approaching a script that can make sure that the specs that we write are on track yeah. Um, can you talk a bit, a little bit about that? Well, that's how I learned to do it. I, I sort of got thrown into the deep end of the pool and did not have very much technique or craft, specifically television craft. I mean, I had been writing plays and been working with plays for quite a few years, but I did not know television when I got uh, lucky enough to get that job. So that's how I learned it. I looked at scripts. And I broke them down, and I analyzed them, and that that was the only way I could get inside the story. As I've gotten more familiar with people's spec scripts, I've consulted on so many. At this point, I really I can tell the difference between a script that is written from someone who has only watched the show mm-hmm. and someone who has actually read them. I can actually tell the difference. Yep. One is like a, a copy mm-hmm. of the show, and the other, if you get inside the style... You can actually make it fresher and your own. Whereas if you're copying it by from what you watched only, you are limited to the surface. You don't get inside. I think it's important um, just for the audience, for the viewers, to break down for a second um, because an extension of that is also transcripts. And if you go online yeah. to try to find scripts for TV shows, you You'll you will often find things that have been transcripted and maybe even transcripted in what looks to be a screenplay type form, but they're not actual scripts from the productions. That's a wonderful point. I'm really glad you mentioned that because it's crucial. It's totally different, the the writer's draft. Mm -hmm. I think that most of those sites will tell you, though. I mean, I, I don't think they're trying to be cagey and try to pass something off, they're quite forthright about it, that they, they tell you it's a transcript. Mm-hmm. But you're right, don't, the transcript is not going to help you as a writer very much at all. And so where where can somebody get um, actual scripts from shows? Because uh, often you can get the pilot, uh, but outside of the pilot, it's sometimes pretty difficult to, to track them down. 
Well, the pilot is a very good sample because a good pilot, if the show works at all, if the pilot is a good pilot, it's a template, and all the shows that follow it follow that template. That's the purpose of the pilot. So a pilot is a is a pretty good example to have if you can get the pilot. That's that's fine. Mm-hmm. I only know this is sort of standard. You Google TV scripts, and you'll come up with a couple of sites that have some for sale. Mm-hmm. That's all I know of online. Uh, that would be my way of finding it. Now, if you are in Los Angeles, you can go to the Writers Guild Library. You do not have to be a member of the Writers Guild to use the library. Oh, okay. It is open to the public, and you can go there. In that library, they have scripts for every show. They have a, wow. a huge library of scripts. Now, you can't take them out of the library. They're not circulating. You have to read them there, mm-hmm. but you can read them there and break them down if you use the charting system that I lay out in my book or any variation that you want to make of that. It's perfectly fine to do that in the library and break it down, and then you have what you need. You don't need to have the the script itself, per se. So that's one way if you're in Los Angeles. If you're not in Los Angeles, some people have had some luck writing to the show itself, Mm -hmm. which you can... You can find out where they shoot by, uh, again, Googling the, the show's website. You find out what studio it's shot at, and you uh, can get uh, an address and write to the show. It's good to write to the associate producer, the assistant producer, somebody like that, mm-hmm. not the executive producer. Okay. They don't have time. Just call the line, you know, the phone number that reception desk. The receptionist might be able to put you in touch with somebody who can give you a copy of the script, if they're willing to do that. I've heard that people have had some luck with that. Mm-hmm. It's probably not going to work every time, and they probably get sick of having people call them and ask for sample scripts, but it depends. If you have any friends who are writers or actors who are working on shows, they often have access to getting copies of scripts from their agents. Mm-hmm. If, if you know anyone with an agent... Some agencies will give them an access number to the agency libraries where you can download scripts. Most scripts are, now scripts are in, in uh, electronic format and you just download them, copies. Mm-hmm. So again, it's, it, that's of course not useful for somebody who's not in Los Angeles and perhaps in the mix where they have an opportunity to meet people who are actors on TV shows or other or writers who are assistants. Uh, writing assistants, those are good sources of scripts. But that's part of what I was talking about at the beginning of that building that community of, of support, that support community. Mm-hmm. Other people in the business, you don't need to know the top people in the business. They they really don't have time to help you out. But people who are just like one level above you in the business are really very valuable allies because mm-hmm. they can get you things like scripts. And these days there's a there's a lot of new ways that you can uh, connect with people. I think about Facebook and Twitter sure. um, have been amazing for getting getting in touch with people. Uh huh. Well, then, then that I would recommend that you go through those kind of pathways. See if you can't get scripts from colleagues. Hmm. So, so back to your book. Um, it is actually I've heard used as a textbook by USC and UCLA and NYU. Yeah. And NYU, so yes. th- so three of the top film programs in the world yes. use the book, and it's rated five solid stars on Amazon.com. I checked, and there there's not one person who rated it below five. Isn't that amazing? I'm so thrilled. Yeah. And I want to tell you something. I don't know any of those people. Uh-huh. I actually, I really don't. I don't know anybody. I, I wasn't savvy enough to ask people to go and rate my book. I didn't realize I should do that. And then I had all those ratings from honestly total stranger so i'm thrilled uh-huh so were were you surprised by how well it was received was i surprised well i was really grateful <laughs> there <laughs> were times when i was writing the book when i, I was sitting there writing and i'm thinking oh, someone's gonna read this page is anybody <laughs> ever gonna even read this what i'm sweating over every word here nobody's gonna read uh-huh. this so yeah i'm really grateful that people like it and I hoped that they would. Certainly, I hoped that I was making it accessible and fun to read and, and at the same time, honest and helpful, mainly helpful. I'm all about practical. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not about theory. Uh, 
again, you need theory. It's good to, it's good to have overview, but that's not what I do. I, I'm real practical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, speaking about practical, we do have some listener questions. Okay. Um, one of them is from Bill. Bill asks, could you mention specific touches of creative personality you've read in specs that might send our teleplays, teleplays to the recommend pile? That's kind of the other end of the telescope for me. Mm-hmm. And if we turn that around and talk about really where the thing comes from that makes your script stand out, it starts when you choose your story. It's the immersion of yourself in your story. Not not a decorative thing that you put in at the last minute, a little fun thing. It's not really touches. It starts with the reason you write the story in the first place. Mm-hmm. There's a section in the book, uh, chapter four, I think it is, about finding your story, where I go into a, a lot of detail about how to tap into your own experiences and translate them into the lives of characters, into not autobiographical situations, but similar emotional situations. So you can bring something of yourself to a prescribed set of circumstances that an existing show has. And that's really where it begins. And then you live and breathe your story. It has meaning for you, and you bring something special to it, and that jumps off the page. So mm-hmm. I don't think it's something you can add on at the uh, a special touch later. I think it has to come organically. Mm-hmm. I will say uh, that I think one of the, even before you ever write a story, you are preparing things like that by keeping journals. And I don't mean formal journals where you write your deepest thoughts, although you can. But I mean mm-hmm. uh, keeping a notebook so you jot down things that that you think are funny in daily life. What made you laugh? Mm-hmm. Oh, and it doesn't. you don't write it down funny. It's just you notate something that you thought was funny. You start to get a sense of your own sense of humor. You start to see things in life in a funny way. And you will bring that. You will develop instincts that way. You will bring that to your writing in subtle ways, in unique ways that you can't predict. Mm-hmm. So you are always a writer. You are writing all the time. And I think that your most important tool it's a pencil and a notebook mm-hmm. because you don't always have your computer turned on. You are not always a, have actual paper and pencil with you all the time. Yeah, and make a note. You can transcribe it later into your computer if you like keeping logs tidy, nice, neat in your computer where you can always find them again. You can always translate it there, but jot stuff down when you see it. Yeah, keep track of who you are in the world and what strikes you. What moves you? What makes you laugh? What makes you cry? What makes you angry? Note it. It will come back in your work. You'll have a treasure trove that will come to bear. And I think another question that Bill asks, and I, th- I think sheds maybe even a bit more light on on what he's getting at, is do writers benefit from attempting clever approaches such as nonlinear storytelling in their specs? And... uh I, I think you addressed that pretty clearly in your book, but what do you think about, um, you know, if you if you had a memento or something, <laughs> a version of a of a script that you were is submitting? Well, if he's talking about a spec script for an existing show, mm-hmm. your commitment is to follow very closely the format and style of that show, and if that show tells a story nonlinearly, then follow their their format. Follow their mm-hmm. style. But if they don't, and I, I'm not sure I know what he means exactly by nonlinear, but whatever whatever that means to him, if it's the show style, then by all means, mm-hmm. study carefully that show. Follow that style. I don't think that it helps you as a writer to break the boundaries of an existing show if you're writing a spec. Mm-hmm. Because the whole purpose is to show that you can color in the lines. You may have an, a, an unusual color, but you can 
you can fit in the format. That's what you're showing because they're looking for writers who can deliver pre-existing circumstances. That's what you are as a staff writer. You're not wholly original. You have to find a way to be original within the prescribed structure, within the prescribed boundaries, or you're not very valuable as a staff member. Mm -hmm. You're not going to turn out the product that they're, they've made a commitment to turn out, that they want to turn out. Again, this is part of the collaborative part of the business mm -hmm. on, the, uh, on, on a large scale. You're hired help. If you're terribly, terribly original, television is probably not going to be your most comfortable medium. Mm. This goes back to you're writing for money. And if you're writing for money, somebody else is signing the check and they are making the demands. And you have to service them. Uh, it's not all about your artistic expression and your great originality. It's about how can you service them and still be original, mm -hmm. not break all the rules. On the other hand, if you're writing a spec pilot or something and you want to do that, you're making up your style, you're entitled to do that. Whether or not that serves you to get other work, you'll never know unless you do it and see what kind of response you get. Yeah. Well, that's so that's that's great advice. So so um that I think Bill's questions do kind of suggest a uh, a, f a feature approach to it. And I and I think as you said, pilots or features would benefit from those um, stylistic approaches, but, um, I, I know the interviews that I've had, uh, say that it really, a staff writer's job is executing the showrunner's vision. Yeah, absolutely. If, if your favorite show was lost and you think that this procedural show would benefit from the lost style flashbacks and they've never had them before, no. not going to cut it. No, you will have a lot of time at home to do your own work though. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I, I'm being a little glib. But yeah, absolutely, you're hired. You're hired help, and you're there to do what has already been determined, not to make it better. Mm -hmm. You got to remember, you're not there to make it better. You're there to make it exactly the way it is. And uh, Samuel asks, how important are instincts for writers, and how does a writer develop instincts? Well, as I said before, keep a journal. Mm -hmm. That's really a great tool for developing instincts. Instincts are important, but for me, what I think, and I don't know, but I, I think my instincts come from my craft. The more skilled I get, the better my instincts are. I, I, I don't think that they're magical quite exactly. They are, they are because Sometimes they just hit you and, and you realize, oh, that's what I can do. And it does feel magical, but it really is coming from experience and craft. Mm -hmm. well, uh, well, I do, I do love in your book how you, you mention the idea of, of practicing, like say, for instance, practice, practicing focused listening or practicing smiling. And so, I, I mean, sometimes we can think, well, I'm just not a smiler. Um, I'm just, yeah, I'm just not a warm person by nature, but yeah. it's, it's something that you can practice and, and you can yeah. develop that. And I think yeah. that what we call instincts could just be our powers of observation, which we can work on. We can work on focused listening. We can work on, um, maybe you're the type of person who is always, um, commuted f with your iPod full blast. Um, listening to music, well, maybe you can leave your iPod off and, and listen to people talk as as you ride. Yeah, and and write it down. Mm -hmm. Like I said, carry that paper, carry, carry that little notebook, and not a nice notebook, by the way. Mm -hmm. I'm always intimidated. The nicer my notebook, the less I write in it. I'm intimidated by the whole. What I'm writing isn't isn't worthy of this lovely leather covered notebook. I, I get little cheap notebooks from IKEA. Uh, or someplace that, that very simple, plain ones, and then I can put anything down mm -hmm. because sure. So I, I, I like really cheap notebooks from from Staples or someplace, and just notate things. The more you write down, the more instincts you're building. Mm -hmm. That's where it comes from. If it's just in your head, if you never write it down, it's really wish fulfillment. You're not a writer. You have to write it down. Mm -hmm. 
And uh, Samuel also asks, what are common mistakes of people who are in the room for the first time? The most important rule about being in the room is laugh at the jokes. Uh-huh. Laugh at the jokes. Just laugh at the jokes. Always. It, it is part of the room. It's part of being a team player. That's what the room is about, is being a team player. Mm-hmm. And if you don't laugh at the jokes, people get really uncomfortable and you don't fit in. So laugh at the jokes. Again, even if you don't think they're funny, uh-huh. they'll be funny if you laugh. You'll find it funny. It's it's about being in the room. Mm-hmm. So laugh at the jokes. And the other thing to remember in the room is yes and. If you've ever done any improv, you know the first rule of improv is you never negate anything your partner says. Mm. You say yes and you add to it. So if you ever want to suggest anything in the room, you never say no to anything. You add to it. You don't say, this doesn't work at all. You better have a suggestion. You better have something to suggest. It's much better to have something to suggest that that the showrunner, he may never use it. He may reject it. But it bounces around. It gets somebody else to suggest something. It's all about give and take. So you never say no to something. Hmm. Add. And I, I strongly advise anybody who wants to write certainly half-hour television, which is so collaborative and so much about give and take and so much time in the room with a team, that take improv training. Even if you have no intention of ever being a performer, mm-hmm. it's a it's a really wonderful training for being in the room and for for throwing ideas out without, and knowing that you have hundreds more and not being precious about your ideas, taking a, taking a chance with the moment. Mm-hmm. It's a great training, and it's a great training for collaboration, which is what you got to do in the room. Very, very cool. Now, well, let's move on um, a little bit. And so now it's 2011. Your book was released in 2007. Um, in the last four years, we've seen some major changes. I mean, Twitter, Facebook have grown ex- exponentially. There's been some other trends in Hollywood where, say, for instance, five years ago, um, you might have said that uh, that writing a feature was a, a good spec to, to give for TV, and now it's not. People are writing pilots. Um, so what what would you add to the book if you were, if you were to revise it today? I'm so glad you asked me because I am writing the next book. Very cool. The next book is How to Write a Pilot. Mm-hmm. Because, yes, since 2007, it has become the thing to have. You need to have both spec, on-air spec and original work. And pilots are, well, my agent always says, I'd rather read a 40-page pilot than a 120-page screenplay mm-hmm. any time. So pilots are a very good sample to have. I do think that pilots are enormously difficult, a lot of heavy lifting, Mm -hmm. and that you really should write at least one spec of an on-air show before you attempt to write a pilot. That's training. Mm -hmm. Pilots are the World Series, the Olympics. You've got to get some pre-game training (laughs) before you, you do that. So I think you need to write on-air specs, maybe a couple, to get your training wheels. And then you ought to be writing a pilot as well. Mm-hmm. And and reading pilots, too. Sure. Yeah. And and what about social networking? Now that that's on the table, um, what would you add to your advice to a, a writer who wants to break in now that these extra tools are available? Well, I think you know probably better than I do about how to use social networking. I mean, like you suggested using social networking to uh, build a community where you can just the simple thing of getting scripts that people out there have them already, they'll help you out. Mm-hmm. They'll send you a download on it. I, I would say that it's probably most useful for that kind of thing, mm-hmm. um, building your community. How I, if you are, if you're adept at it and you enjoy it, that would be great. Why not? Why not use that? I don't know that it's a great selling tool right now, but I, I do think that, I mean, I did a webisode series, and I think that it's a great idea to do that, if you can keep the cost down, because there's really no money to be made yet mm-hmm. uh, doing webisodes, but it's a great platform to display your work if you if you want to 
do something like that. You could use the Internet as a great tool to demonstrate your work, a portfolio piece. Great. Mm -hmm. I would would definitely encourage that. And there will be a section in my pilot book about webisodes and how to use that Internet for that. And that that is so neat. I mean, when I think about when I went to film school um, 20 years ago, and how our short films were seen for one audience, and that was our film class. And now yeah. you you can do a short film, and somebody in Australia can see it tomorrow. Yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, yeah. amazing, amazing stuff. Yeah, I, I went to film school too. I've got I've got that short film mm-hmm. <laughs> that that went the festival route, and it it was on eventually was on PBS. But yeah, it does not get the, did not get the airplay in those days. Mm-hmm. Now you can can do. And by having a, a, a link to your stuff, if it's up there on, on the web, when you contact people, you can include that link in a in an introductory letter, and it's so easy for them to get a sample of your work mm-hmm. that way. Yeah. So I, I definitely think it's a, a really good support tool. I, I don't think it's a primary thing, and I don't think it changes the name of the game, but I do think it's a great support tool. Yeah. Well, so um, you keep very active. I I love the fact that you're still writing and directing plays. That's awesome. Never stop. <laughs> and of course, you work as a consultant and and teacher, and you fly all over the world um, helping people, which is great. Um, but what can you tell me about uh, what's coming up? I know I know you're at the writer's store. I guess uh, in a few weeks. I do. I have two uh, writer's store events. The writer's store is in Burbank here in L- in L.A. Mm-hmm. They are my pilot writing seminar. It's a full day, all day. I cover the basic elements that you need to address in development. I don't even get to the script. It's just the development process that you need to go through to create a pilot script. And that's an all-day event. One is on April 30th, and the next one is May 5th, I believe it is. I think it was May 7th. Oh, is it May 7th? Yeah. Yeah, you're right. May 7th, Saturday. Thanks. I'm glad you're here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, May 7th. So those two are coming up. And today, today is April Fool's Day, but no fooling. Mm -hmm. Today is the launch, and it's my release date, of my first DVD. It's called What Can I Say? A Dialogue Workshop with Ellen Sandler. And it was recorded at the Writer's Store, a dialogue workshop that I do there occasionally. Mm-hmm. This this is a recorded and edited version and available in DVD as of today. Very cool. So the Writerster will have it. It will be available on my website and that's, that's coming up. And uh, my pilot book, but that's not coming up real soon. That takes a lot longer to do, mm-hmm. to write. But I also am launching, I have a beta version right now in Play. And so I will be launching my first online teaching experience. I'm going to be teaching the pilot development seminar that I do at the Writers' So I'm going to be teaching it online mm-hmm. so people internationally can attend. And that, that will be coming up in the next couple of months. I'll be launching the first version of that. So if you're on my mailing list, you will be notified and you can register for that if you like. Very, very cool. You can get on my mailing list very easily by going to my website and there it just hit contact uh, it just send me an email and get on Ellen's le- email list yeah and that's sandlerinc.com uh, great website there's lots of supporting material for your book and people can find out a lot more about the services that you offer there as well you do do individual consulting as well yeah and we should spell sandler inc so people know it's i n k yeah inc you write with not Inc. like incorporated. It's Sandler Inc. I-N-K. Yeah. Great. And uh, do you have any other uh, projects or charities that you'd like to promote? Could somebody contribute to my uh, children's college loan fund? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can think of one way, and that's if if you don't have Ellen's book, you got to buy her book. I mean, this is a tremendous book to be on your shelf. Oh, thank you so much. I'm so, you're so nice, Grace. Thank you very much. (laughs) You're welcome. Well, Ellen, I wish I could have you for another couple hours, but I know you've got a life too. So, (laughs) (laughs) Thanks. 
Well, I'd love to do it again, especially when my next book is ready. Absolutely, absolutely. That would be and, great. And I'll be first in line to read that one. Oh, thank you, Gray. Thank you. You're a great interviewer. You really are terrific. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You 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 lay in so much nice color and support. It's great. And your questions are terrific. Mm-hmm. Well, it it helps that I really actually do love your book, and <laughs> so <laughs> it's uh, it's all genuine. So, can I can I send you a copy of my new DVD as a gift? I would love that. Tell me where I should send it. And if you need advanced readers for your um, your book, I'm I'm there too. Oh, thank you. <laughs> really, that that would be great. Okay. Yeah, I've I've done that for for other authors as well. Great. And uh, and actually, we should mention if you want to follow uh, Ellen on on Twitter, it's the same as the website at Sandler Inc with a K. Yeah, and uh, and I think you would do well to do so. So, I uh, don't want to take any your, any more of your time. Okay. Uh, it's been absolutely, absolutely wonderful to speak with you, and best of luck to you, and hopefully, maybe one time you'll come up to Toronto, or I'll come to LA when you're doing a seminar, and I'll actually get to meet you. I would love it. I would love it. Great. Well, thanks so much, Alan. Okay. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. And what did I say? An awesome, awesome interview, and I so much appreciate her taking the time. If you haven't bought Ellen's book, what are you waiting for? Both the TV Writer's Workbook and your next homework assignment, Small Screen, Big Picture, are available at tvwriterpodcast.com for under $11 each. And hey, if you browse and add one more, you even get free shipping. What a deal. So I urge you to do so. Um, Take advantage. And you know, at these prices... There's not really any excuse for not having these great books on your shelf. Um, as we mentioned, go to Ellen's website at sandlerinc.com with a K for extra resources, an event calendar, and also to subscribe to her mailing list. You can follow Ellen on Twitter at Sandler Inc with a K. You can follow me on Twitter at Gray Jones, or you can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Graham A. Jones. Remember to go to scriptmag.com for lots of other great articles and resources. Just a reminder that this is a video podcast. Uh, if you've been listening audio-wise, you're welcome to do so, but you can find it in video form in lots of different places, either at tvwriterpodcast.com, where there's lots of other resources there as well. You can find it at scriptmag.com, released every Monday. Or you can also get it on iTunes. Just search for TV Writer Podcast. If you want the audio version, you can get it from scriptmag.com or just subscribe to the Script Magazine iTunes account. Or apparently you can also get it on Podbean. You can get all those details anywhere you can find the podcast. But until next time, I want to wish you a very happy writing week. Bye-bye. Hosted by Gray Jones, the TV Writer Podcast is brought to you by Script Magazine and ScriptMag.com, the leading source for script writing information in print and on the web. And by Final Draft Script Writing Software, the entertainment industry standard for script writing worldwide. <laughs>